Chapter Eighteen of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Eighteen. The New Dominant. I mean primarily all that opposes exclusionism that development or progress or evolution is attempt to positivize and is a mechanism by which a positive existence is recruited that what we call existence is a womb of infinitude and is itself only incubatory that eventually all attempts are broken down by the falsely excluded subjectively the breaking down is aided by our own sense of false and narrow limitations so the classic and academic artists wrought positivist paintings and express the only ideal that i am conscious of though we so often hear of ideals instead of different manifestations artistically scientifically theologically politically of the one ideal they sought to satisfy, in its artistic aspect, cosmic craving for unity or completeness, sometimes called harmony, called beauty in some aspects. By disregard, they sought completeness. But the light effects that they disregarded and their narrow confinement to standardized subjects brought on the revolt of the Impressionists. So the Puritans tried to systematize and they disregarded physical needs or vices or relaxations they were invaded and overthrown when their narrowness became obvious and intolerable all things strive for positiveness for themselves or for quasi-systems of which they are parts formality in the mathematic the regular and the uniform are aspects of the positive state but the positive is the universal, so all attempted positiveness that seems to satisfy in the aspects of formality and regularity sooner or later disqualifies in the aspect of wideness or universalness. So there is revolt against the science of today because the formulated utterances that were regarded as final truths in a past generation are now seen to be insufficiencies every pronouncement that has opposed our own acceptances has been found to be a composition like any academic painting something that is arbitrarily cut off from relations with environment or framed off from interfering and disturbing data or outlined with disregards our own attempt has been to take in the included but also to take in the excluded into wider expressions we accept, however, that for every one of our expressions there are irreconcilable somewhere, that final utterance would include all things. However, of such is a gossip of angels. The final is unutterable in quasi-existence, where to think is to include, but also to exclude, or be not final. If we admit that for every opinion we have expressed there must somewhere be an irreconcilable we are intermediatists, and not positivists, not even higher positivists. 
of course it may be that some day we shall systematize and dogmatize and refuse to think of anything that we may be accused of disregarding and believe instead of merely accepting then if we could have a wider system which would acknowledge no irreconcilables we'd be higher positivists so long as we only accept we are not higher positivists but our feeling is that the new dominant even though we have thought of it only as another enslavement will be the nucleus for higher positivism and that it will be the means of elevating into infinitude a new batch of fixed stars until as a recruiting instrument it too will play out and will give way to some new medium for generating absoluteness it is our acceptance that all astronomers of today have lost their souls or rather all chance of attaining entity but that copernicus and kepler and galileo and newton and conceivably laverrier are now fixed stars some day i shall attempt to identify them in all this i think we're quite a moses we point out the promised land but unless we be cured of our intermediatism we will never be reported in monthly notices ourselves in our acceptance dominance in their succession displace preceding dominance not only because they are more nearly positive but because the old dominance as recruiting mediums play out our expression is that the new dominant of wider inclusions is now manifesting throughout the world and that the old exclusionism is everywhere breaking down in physics exclusionism is breaking down by its own researches in radium for instance and in its speculations upon electrons or its merging away into metaphysics and by the desertion that has been going on for many years by such men as gurney crookes wallace flammarion lodge to formally disregard phenomena no longer called spiritualism but now psychic research biology is in chaos conventional darwinites mixed up with mutationists and orthogenesists and followers of wiseman who take from darwinism one of its pseudo-bases and nevertheless try to reconcile their heresies with orthodoxy the painters are metaphysicians and psychologists the breaking down of exclusionism in china and japan and in the united states has astonished history the science of astronomy is going downward so that though pickering for instance did speculate upon a trans-neptunian planet and lowell did try to have accepted heretical ideas as to marks on mars attention is now minutely focused upon such technicalities as variations in shades of jupiter's fourth satellite i think that in general acceptance over-refinement indicates decadence i think that the stronghold of inclusionism is in aeronautics i think that the stronghold of the old dominant when it was new was in the invention of the telescope or that coincidentally with the breakdown of exclusionism appears the means of finding out whether there are vast aerial fields of ice and floating lakes full of frogs and fishes or not where carved stones and black substances and great quantities of vegetable matter and flesh which may be dragon's flesh come from whether there are interplanetary trade routes and vast areas devastated by super tamerlanes whether sometimes there are visitors to this earth who might be pursued and captured and questioned end of chapter eighteen recording by acacia wood
Chapter Nineteen of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Nineteen. I have industriously sought data for an expression upon birds but the prospecting has not been very quasi-satisfactory. I think I rather emphasize our industriousness, because a charge likely to be brought against the attitude of acceptance is that one who only accepts must be one of languid interest and little application of energy. It doesn't seem to work out. We are very industrious. I suggest to some of our disciples that they look into the matter of messages upon pigeons of course attributed to earthly owners, but said to be undecipherable. I'd do it ourselves, only that would be selfish. That's more of the intermediatism that will keep us out of the firmament. Positivism is absolute egoism. But look back in the time of André's polar expedition. Pigeons that would have no publicity ordinarily were often reported at that time. In the Zoologist 3, 1821, is recorded an instance of a bird, Puffin, that had fallen to the ground with a fractured head. Interesting, but mere speculation. But what solid object, high in the air, had that bird struck against? Tremendous red rain in France, October 16 and 17, 1846. Great storm at the time, and red rain supposed to have been colored by matter swept up from this earth's surface and then precipitated. Comptus Rendus twenty three eight thirty two. But in Comptus Rendus twenty four six twenty five, the description of this red rain differs from one's impression of red, sandy, or muddy water. It is said that this rain was so vividly red and so blood like that many persons in France were terrified. Two analyses are given, Comptus Rendus 24, 8, 12. One chemist notes a great quantity of corpuscles, whether blood-like corpuscles or not, in the matter. The other chemist sets down organic matter at 35%. It may be that an interplanetary dragon had been slain somewhere, or that this red fluid, in which were many corpuscles, came from something not altogether pleasant to contemplate, about the size of the Catskill Mountains, perhaps. But the present datum is that with this substance, larks, quail, ducks, and water hens, some of them alive, fell at Lyons and Grenoble, and other places. I have notes upon other birds that have fallen from the sky, but unaccompanied by the red rain that makes the fall of birds in France peculiar, and very peculiar if it be accepted that the red substance was extra-mundane. The other notes are upon birds that have fallen from the sky, in the midst of storms, or of exhausted but living birds falling not far from a storm area. But now we shall have an instance for which I can find no parallel. Fall of dead birds from a clear sky, far distant from any storm to which they could be attributed, so remote from any discoverable storm that, my own notion is that, in the summer of 1896, something, or some beings, came as near to this earth as they could, upon a hunting expedition. 
that in the summer of eighteen ninety six an expedition of super-scientists passed over this earth and let down a dragnet and what would it catch sweeping through the air supposing it to have reached not quite to this earth in the monthly weather review may nineteen seventeen w l mccaddy quotes from the baton rouge correspondence to the philadelphia times that in the summer of eighteen ninety six into the streets of baton rouge louisiana and from a clear sky fell hundreds of dead birds there were wild ducks and catbirds woodpeckers and many birds of strange plumage some of them resembling canaries usually one does not have to look very far from any place to learn of a storm but the best that could be done in this instance was to say there had been a storm on the coast of florida and unless he have psychochemic repulsion for the explanation the reader feels only momentary astonishment that dead birds from a storm in florida should fall from an unstormy sky in louisiana and with his intellect greased like the plumage of a wild duck the datum then drops off our greasy shiny brains that they may be of some use after all that other modes of existence place a high value upon them as lubricants that we're hunted for them a hunting expedition to this earth the newspapers report a tornado if from a clear sky or a sky in which there were no driven clouds or other evidences of still continuing wind power or if from a storm in florida it could be accepted that hundreds of birds had fallen far away in louisiana i conceive conventionally of heavier objects having fallen in alabama say and of the fall of still heavier objects still nearer the origin in florida the sources of information of the weather bureau are widespread it has no records of such falls so a dragnet that was let down from above somewhere or something that i learned from the more scientific of the investigators of psychic phenomena the reader begins their works with prejudice against telepathy and everything else of psychic phenomenon the writers deny spirit communication and say that the seeming data are data of only telepathy astonishing instances of seeming clairvoyance only telepathy after a while the reader finds himself agreeing that it's only telepathy which at first had been intolerable to him so maybe in eighteen ninety six a super dragnet did not sweep through this earth's atmosphere gathering up all the birds within its field the meshes then suddenly breaking or that the birds of baton rouge were only from the super sargasso sea upon which we shall have another expression we thought we'd settled that and we thought we'd established that but nothing's ever settled and nothing's ever established in a real sense if in a real sense there is nothing in quasiness i suppose there had been a storm somewhere the storm in florida perhaps and many birds have been swept upward into the super sargasso sea it has frigid regions and it has tropical regions that birds of diverse species had been swept upward into an icy region where huddling together for warmth they had died then later they had been dislodged meteor coming along boat bicycle dragon don't know what did come along something dislodged them 
So leaves of trees, carried up there in whirlwinds, staying there years, ages, perhaps only a few months, but then falling to this earth at an unseasonable time for dead leaves. Fishes carried up there, some of them dying and drying, some of them living in volumes of water that are in abundance up there, or that fall sometimes in the deluges that we call cloudbursts. The astronomers won't think kindly of us, and we haven't done anything to endear ourselves to the meteorologists. But we're weak and mawkish intermediatists. Several times we've tried to get the aeronauts with us. Extraordinary things up there. Things that curators of museums would give up all hope of ever being fixed stars to obtain. Things left over from whirlwinds of the time of the pharaohs, perhaps. Or that Elijah did go up in the sky in something like a chariot, and may not be Vega after all, and that there may be a wheel or so left of whatever he went up in. We basely suggest that it would bring a high price, but sell soon, because after a while there'd be thousands of them hawked around. We weakly drop a hint to the aeronauts. In the Scientific American 33-197, there is an account of some hay that fell from the sky. From the circumstances, we incline to accept that this hay went up in a whirlwind, from this earth, in the first place, reached the Supersargasso Sea, and remained there a long time before falling. An interesting point in this expression is the usual attribution to a local and coinciding whirlwind and identification of it, and then data that make that local whirlwind unacceptable. That, upon July 27, 1875, small masses of damp hay had fallen at Monkstown, Ireland. In the Dublin Daily Express, Dr. J. W. Moore had explained, he had found a nearby whirlwind to the south of Monkstown that coincided. But, according to the Scientific American, a similar fall had occurred near Wrexham, England, two days before. In November 1918, I made some studies upon light objects thrown into the air. Armistice Day. I suppose I should have been more emotionally occupied, but I made notes upon torn up papers thrown high in the air from windows of office buildings. Scraps of paper did stay together for a while, several minutes sometimes. Cosmos. 3, 4, 574. That, upon the 10th of April, 1869, at Autrich, Indre at Lore, a great number of oak leaves, enormous segregation of them, fell from the sky. Very calm day. So little wind that the leaves fell almost vertically. Fall lasted about ten minutes. Flammarion in The Atmosphere, page 412, tells this story. He has to find a storm. He does find a squall but it had occurred upon April 3rd. Flammarion's two incredibilities are that leaves could remain a week in the air, that they could stay together a week in the air. Think of some of your own observations upon papers thrown from an airplane. Our one incredibility, that these leaves had been whirled up six months before when they were common on the ground and had been sustained of course not in the air, but in a region gravitationally inert, and had been precipitated by the disturbances of April rains. I have no records of leaves that have so fallen from the sky in October or November, the season when one might expect dead leaves to be raised from one place and precipitated somewhere else. I emphasize that this occurred in April. 
Lanature, eighteen eighty nine to ninety four that upon April nineteenth, eighteen eighty nine, dried leaves of different species, oak, elm, etc., fell from the sky. This day, too, was a calm day. The fall was tremendous. The leaves were seen to fall fifteen minutes, but, judging from the quantity on the ground, it is the writer's opinion that they had already been falling half an hour. I think that the geyser of corpses that sprang from Ryombamba toward the sky must have been an interesting sight. If I were a painter, I'd like that subject. But this cataract of dried leaves, too, is a study in the rhythms of the dead. In this datum, the point most agreeable to us is the very point that the writer in La Nature emphasizes, windlessness. He says that the surface of the Loire was absolutely smooth. The river was strewn with leaves as far as he could see. L'Astronomie, 1894-194, that upon the 7th of April, 1894, dried leaves fell at Clairvaux and Autre-Aube, France. The fall is described as prodigious. Half an hour. Then, upon the 11th, a fall of dry leaves occurred at Pont-Carré. It is in this recurrence that we found some of our opposition to the conventional explanation. The editor, Flammarion, explains. He says that the leaves had been caught up in a cyclone which had expended its force, that the heavier leaves had fallen first. We think that that was all right for 1894, and that it was quite good enough for 1894. But in these more exacting days, we want to know how wind power insufficient to hold some leaves in the air could sustain others four days. The factors in this expression are unseasonableness, not for dried leaves, but for prodigious numbers of dried leaves, direct fall, windlessness, month of April, and localization in France. The factor of localization is interesting. Not a note have I upon fall of leaves from the sky, except these notes. Were the conventional explanation, or old correlate, acceptable, it would seem that similar occurrences in other regions should be as frequent as in France. The indication is that there may be quasi-permanent undulations in the Super-Sargasso Sea, or a pronounced inclination toward France. Inspiration that there may be a nearby world, complementary to this world, where autumn occurs at the time that is springtime here. Let some disciple have that. But there may be a dip toward France, so that leaves that are born high there are more likely to be held in suspension than high-flying leaves elsewhere. Some other time I shall take up super-geography and be guilty of charts. I think now that the Super-Sargasso Sea is an oblique belt with changing ramifications over Great Britain, France, Italy, and on to India. Relatively to the United States, I am not very clear, but think especially of the southern states. The preponderance of our data indicates frigid regions aloft. Nevertheless, such phenomena as putrefaction have occurred often enough to make super-tropical regions also acceptable. We shall have one more datum upon the Super-Sargasso Sea. It seems to me that, by this time, our requirements of support and reinforcement and agreement have been quite as rigorous for acceptance as ever for belief, at least for full acceptance. 
by virtue of mere acceptance we may in some later book deny the super sargasso sea and find that our data relate to some other complementary world instead or the moon and have abundant data for accepting that the moon is not more than twenty or thirty miles away however the super sargasso sea functions very well as a nucleus around which to gather data that oppose exclusionism that is our main motive to oppose exclusionism or our agreement with cosmic processes the climax of our general expression upon the super sargasso sea coincidentally appears something else that may overthrow it later notes and queries eight twelve two twenty eight that in the province of Macarata, Italy, summer of 1897, an immense number of small, blood-colored clouds covered the sky. About an hour later a storm broke, and myriad seeds fell to the ground. It is said that they were identified as products of a tree found only in Central Africa and the Antilles. If, in terms of conventional reasoning, these seeds had been high in the air, they had been in a cold region but it is our acceptance that these seeds had for a considerable time been in a warm region and for a time longer than is attributable to suspension by wind power it is said that a great number of the seeds were in the first stage of germination end of chapter nineteen recording by acacia wood